It's the Stinkin' Truth Podcast with Mark Schlereth. Presented by Sweet Sweat. Hey, welcome in to Stinkin' Truth Podcast. Mike Evans, Mark Schlereth, Scott the Hub, producer of the show. And uh, this is it, Mike. This is not, not, it's not our last podcast, obviously. Because the but football this the... machine doesn't stop. No, it doesn't. 24-7, yep. 365. Uh, that's all about football. But... It is the um, the last game. Can you believe we've gotten to this point? First off, before we even start, let's thank our uh, presenting sponsors for the year, our, our great folks over at Sweet Sweat for all your exercise and supplement needs. Check them out, sweetsweat.com. Um, you can check all the information out there. And then um, on top of that, uh, Superbook, Jake Cornegay going to join us from Superbook, America's Best Bet, uh, so you can check them out as well. But uh, can you believe that we – that we fi- we finally got here, man. Yes, I can. But I I never had a doubt, and and I know that this week there's there's been a lot of that. Like, wow, I I, I can't believe they got this season in. What a, what a testament to the NFL and Roger Goodell accepting pats on the back, which they they all deserve. But was there ever any doubt? We we talked about this back before the season started, and there were questions about whether or not they'd be able to get the season in. And what did we both agree on? They will power through. They will not stop. The NFL will see this through by hook or by crook right to the end, and they've done it. They certainly have. And and I'll tell you, whether it's uh, you know the National Football League or all the networks like uh, the one I'm on, Fox or CBS or NBC, or I, I will say this, man, proud to be a part of this year, proud to be yeah. a part of the broadcast team, proud of what the NFL did. I said this on air and probably my last game that I called, you know, in its imperfection, it was perfect. You know, the NFL season went on and it wasn't, you know, it was there was imperfection all over the place. But man, it is such a part of the fabric of our culture and what we do and the way we kind of celebrate sports and competition. And it's Mike, it's so important. You know, I can't tell you how many times over the course of the year, like my parents would call me, say, hey, so-and-so called and so-and-so called and this person called. You know, my parents are in their early 80s up in Alaska and said, you know, Sundays were such a a pleasure for us to sit down, to hunker down, and to watch you call a game and to be part of that NFL and part of that culture that is, you know, that is, like I said, the fabric of our country. Did you think, honestly, when you go back and you remember that first week and you looked around, and there's nobody in the stands. And when the music isn't bi- being piped in, it's quiet. W- were you looking around going, mm, I don't know if this is going to work? Was there ever that moment? Never. No? I-, I told you it was interesting that from the very first game I did, not one, I'm spastic, right? So I'm out there. I'm like, I'm, I love, I'm like a kid, man. You, you got you to understand the way I'm wired. Like, the only thing I ever wanted to do since the time I was 12 was to be involved in the NFL. That was it. That was, like, my goal in life, right? And now I fell in love with football as a kid. I just fell in love with it. And it is really, you know, the, to coin a phrase from uh, the alarm, it's the lifeblood that courses through my veins, man. I, I love football. And so I get geeked up about big plays and big hits. And, you know, I get, I'm excitable. I, I just, it's the way I call a game, man. I get excited about the game. And that first game, Seattle, we're interviewing Jamal Adams. 
you know, pregame, um, you know, in our in our production meetings. And he said, uh, he, he just was like a drop the mic moment. He goes, I tell you what, he goes, no fans in the stands, no noise, no whatever. He goes, you're about ready to find out who loves football and who doesn't. Ooh, yeah. Great line. And and I got into that stadium. It was in Atlanta. Seattle versus the, the Seattle versus the Atlanta Falcons. And that game, that ball was kicked off and guys were flying around literally trying to murder each other. And I'm calling the game and I am locked into what's going on during the course of that game, completely locked in. And I got to tell you, Mike, it was probably the fourth quarter when there's a, like a lull, we're in a commercial break, and I took my head, headsets off for the first time, and I looked around the stadium. And it was the first time during the entirety of calling that game that I recognized, I go, oh, yeah, shit, there is not one fan in the stands. Wow. And I didn't even, it, it never, it, registered. It never even yeah. dawned on me huh. during the course of that game. And, and it was, I mean, it was, to me, it was just beautiful. It was purity. And there was only one time during the course of the season that it was weird, that it was eerie. I was calling a game in New York. It was Washington and the Giants. And it was the only stadium that they didn't have any noise and music pumped in during pregame warm-ups. And I'm, I'm in the booth and I'm looking down at the field and Jason Garrett was down. He's the defense, our offensive coordinator of the Giants. He was down there on the field. And I literally could have shouted to him, Jason! And he could have, he would yeah. have heard me. Yeah. And he could have looked up and go, yeah. hey, stink! Yeah. Like, it was it was that, that, that it was, weird. and then, of course, when they kicked off, the, they started pumping right. in the, right. the crowd noise and right. everything into your, and so then it was different. But that was the only time it was eerie for me, but um just really proud to be a part of this year. I really am, and I'm, I'm proud the NFL is here, and we're about ready to watch the Super Bowl. And, wow, what a matchup. Kansas City, Tampa, Mahomes, Brady. I mean, where where to start? I, I guess I'll start with this. Does the first game, where Tyreek Hill had like a season in the first quarter, does that influence how you look at this game is there a carryover in your mind well I think there's a carryover in that what adjustments did we make to shut Tyreek Hill down later in that game what mistakes did we make that we can't allow to happen again all the things that you learn you know a lot of people have asked me <clears throat> like what's gone on or over the course of um over the course of this season and what do you garner from that first matchup. And, you know, you look at what you did strategically, how you, you know, how you either played him well or played them well or how you, you know, screwed something up. You look at those things. Um, but mostly what you look at during the course of, you know, during the course of um, any, like during the course of any game that you have played a team before, uh, an opponent that you've already faced, Really, what you what you look at is the individual matchups, because everybody's going to change and tweak, and you know, teams do what they do. So, like, there's not going to be any disguise um, in Tampa Bay's offense. They run twenty two duo, 
It's their running play. It's a you know, it's double team guard tackle, you know, double team center guard, double team tight end wide receiver, whatever it is, right? It's just a a mosh pit play. Um, you can call a lot of things. It's kind of a gap play. So, um, you know, they're gonna run. They're gonna run that. That's gonna be their scheme. That's not changing, Mike. What you change is the adjunct plays that come after uh, off of it. Is there a scheme run that we'd like to – do we look at uh, Kansas City and say, man, they've been gutted in the run game on this particular play in the last four weeks. We need to put that in from a scheme standpoint. It doesn't mean we're going to change what we normally do. So it's not like you're going to sh- – it's not like you're shocking anybody. It's not like – you're going to be shocked if you're Tampa or you're going to be shocked if you're Kansas City on what that team does because the staple of what they do is not going to change. It's the scheme stuff that will change. But really where that film becomes beneficial to you is your individual matchup. Mm-hmm. I want to know what that pass rusher is like. I want to know what you know what that guy I played against last time did to me in pass rushing situations or in the run game. You know, Vita Vea did not play in that Week 12 matchup. He'll play. So now i got to go back and look at the film from previous. But I don't get to see film from me matching up against him in certain particular situations. So that's where that that film is valuable. But you're going to change the scheme stuff that you do, you know, the individual scheme stuff, trying to attack an opponent. So realistically, you think there is an adjustment to be made when – you look at what Tyreek Hill did, 13 catches for 268 yards and three touchdowns? Two hundred, Like 200 of it was in, in the, the first quarter. First quarter. So you're looking back to what adjustments did we make? How, how, did, we, okay. like, how did we do How did we do against Tyreek Hill? And how many of those big plays were based on, you know, timing and execution? Right. And, you know, if we're going to play man or we're going to play – um, you know, cover one, and and we're going to play a man press kind of scenario. So, you know, a lot of people have asked me, Mike, about like how do you shut down this offense, right? I mean, that's going to be a huge question mark. And I've told you for the last couple of years that I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defensively are as dynamic. Um, if if the Chiefs are the most dynamic football team I've watched offensively then the Buccaneers are the most dynamic team I've watched defensively. Yeah, you've been on them really right from the start. Yeah. You know, when everybody was talking about Brady, you were like, hey, don't 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 sleep on this defense. Yeah, well, the the defense is inc- at all three levels. Like, so one, they defend the run. And one of the ways they defend the run is they play a lot of five-man fronts. So they'll have five guys across the line of scrimmage. Um, they're edge players. You know, as much as we make of JPP – and of Shaq Barrett being great edge pass rushers, they're great edge defenders, both of them. They both play exceptionally well in that realm. JPP's an incredible story, Mike. Remember, I mean, think about this. Now, he was, you know, a a pro bowler with the Giants, blew off part of his hand in a, you know, in a tragic um, just fireworks situation. Comes back from that. Last year, people don't even remember this. Last year in May, he broke his neck in a car accident, mm-hmm. and they thought he'd never play again. Bruce Arians told me I didn't think he'd ever play again. Comes back after six weeks, and you know, and rolls almost double digit sacks in the last ten games of the season. I mean, the guy's an incredible player. He's a, an incredible run defender, <clears throat> as is Shaq Barrett. I mean, they are outstanding 
as a defensive front. Then there are two inside linebackers, I'm telling you, two of the fastest guys you'll ever watch play, instinctual, they really understand the game. Uh, Levante David is such a leader for them from the standpoint of getting people lined up, being a calming presence, and then Devin White is just, I mean, that guy is shot out of a cannon. Guy is just flying around. And then their back end, uh, Murphy Bunning's a great player. Um, Jamel Dean at the cornerback. They got three legit guys that can cover. All three of them are are legit cover corners in Dean, in Murphy Bunting, and Carlton Davis, who doesn't get recognized as a great cover corner, but usually draws the toughest assignment. And then two young safeties that can flat play. They are dynamic at all three levels. All right, let's talk then <clears throat> about the the area of expertise for you, the offensive line, and how much of a red flag is it that the Chiefs are are really They've really been hit hard right. along the offensive line. Mitchell Schwartz has been out for for most of the the year. Eric Fisher's now out. Uh, Mike Remmers is going to take his place at left tackle. The last time I watched Mike Remmers in a game like this, he got absolutely destroyed by Vaughn Miller in the Broncos Panthers Super Bowl. So, is how high should the level of concern be if you're the Chiefs? Well, I think it should be. I think it should be very high because. Let me just tell you defensively what Tampa tries to do to you, okay? They're going to try to blitz you early, right? They're going to try to come with with blitz pressure on early downs, first and second down. And what they're trying to do is get you behind the chains and make you play conservative on third down and, and punt the football, right? So can we steal a possession? Can we steal a couple of possessions for our offensive football team by getting you off early, making you go three and out, or turning the ball over, right? So let's bring pressure early. Let's see if we can create, you know, a long yardage situation and let's see if we can essentially win, you know, the possession game. So all of a sudden instead of 13 possessions you're getting 9 and uh and now we're getting 15, right? We win the possession game gives us more opportunity our offense more opportunity to score. And so that's one of the things they try to do. Todd Bowles, defensive coordinator, a guy I played with in Washington for 5 or 6 years. So Todd and I are our buddies. I understand what he's trying to do. When you bring blitz pressure, there are two things that you're really, Mike, that you're really set on doing. Like to get to the opponent's quarterback and to affect that quarterback, there's two things that have to happen. One, like you have to affect that guy on your fourth step. Your fourth step has got to, especially on blitz pressure, your fourth step has got to make that guy either pull the ball down or you're going to hit him or he's got to throw it around you, right? So to effectively to effectively uh, disrupt the quarterback, you've got to be able to do that on the fourth step. Now there's ways around that. You can pick up that blitz, right, and extend the time that you have with the ball in your hand. You can do that, or you can quick count them. So all of a sudden, here, guys, this guy he's rolling up and he's going to blitz. Right now, I snap the ball and he's three yards away from the line of scrimmage before he gets there. Right, even if he's unblocked. Now it's taking six steps to get the quarterback. You're not going to affect him. So there's there's different ways. You can hold the count and make him stop his feet and almost jump off sides and then, you know, back off. And now we snap it and he's a tick late getting off the ball. That affects uh, the timing of that blitz. So you have to affect the timing of the blitz. And then the other thing is the back end. You've got you to hold up on the back end. You've got to disrupt the routes disrupt the timing of the routes, and make the quarterback hold the ball for a tick. Those are the things that you're trying to do with blitz pressure. So it's how does the front end 
and the back end tie together. If they tie together well, you're going to be successful. And the philosophical approach to Tampa Bay playing defense is this. We are going to bring that blitz pressure. We're going to play man behind it. We know. Todd Bowles knows, hey, they're going to pick it up a couple times, and we're going to give up a big play. And the whole premise of Tampa is, one, you can't give up the 60-yard touchdown, right? We've got to – there's two things. We've got to get them into the red zone. And when you get them into the red zone, it negates the speed of the offense. Why does it negate the speed of the offense? Because you're playing with 12 defenders. The back end line is an extra defender. Your safeties can have their heels at eight yards. We can clog up the middle of the football field, and we can slow you down because your speed all of a sudden can't beat us over the top because there is no over the top, Mm -hmm. right? So we can clog it up with bodies, and we can make it, you know, we can make it harder for you. So hopefully we kick a couple of field goals. So you can't give up the 60-yard touchdown. You do that, you're in trouble. But the whole philosophy of Todd Bowles, the defense coordinator, is we'll give up three big plays. We're going to give up three explosives. But you know what? We're going to create eight. And if those eight explosives create one turnover or two turnovers, a couple of short fields, maybe a pick six, we're going to beat your ass. Now, if it goes, if the shoe goes to the opposite foot, right? If we give up eight big plays and we only make three, we're getting our ass kicked. Right, right. That's the philosophy of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Quickly to go back to what you were asking about, though, that was a long-winded, you know, kind of mm-hmm. here's the defensive perspective. To go back to what you're asking about, this is why. You know, and I've looked at this all year long. Mitchell Schwartz hasn't played since early in the season. Remember, they lost their starting guard, Kalecio Semele, who's an all-pro guard. They lost him early in the season. What they're going to do is they're going to move Remmers from right tackle over to left tackle. Then they're going to move. Um, they're going to move their right guard into. They're going to move their right guard into right tackle, and they're going to bring Wisniewski off the bench to start at right guard. Like, that's that's the shuffling that they're doing. So here's where it comes. Here's where, where coaching matters. You know, we always talk about, is it the quarterback? Is it the coach? Is it this? Is it that? Here's where coaching matters. Great coaches expose your weaknesses. So great on the, great, any great coach, offense or defense, but let's just focus on Andy Reid and the offense. A great coach is going to attack your weakness. Okay. That's what they're going to do. But the great coaches won't attack your weakness if it exposes their weakness. So they'll say, hey, man, if we attack this particular individual or this particular scheme, but it really exposes us as an offense, we'll find something else to attack. Right. That's what great coaches do. The other thing great coaches do is they protect. Listen, if you drop back 35 times, if you're Kansas City and you drop back 35 times against Vita Vea and Indomitian Sue and JPP and Shaq Barrett, you're getting your ass kicked. Because there's no offensive lineman or no offensive line in the league that can hold up against those guys if you drop back 35 times and do that. So what it comes down to is protection comes down to a coaching staff. Yeah, you have to execute up front. But the coaching staff has to take pressure off you. And one of the things I always do when I consult around the league, Mike, is I always I, I use the same term with everybody. I go, how can you take the passive out of pass protection so that we can be the aggressors? And you do that through play calling. So 
what Andy does probably as well or better than just about anybody is he will he will change up his personnel groupings. He will change up his formations. He will change up his shifts and his motions. So you never get dialed in. And then what he'll do is he'll challenge you through those motions, through those shifts, to make sure that he's slowing you down a bit. He's making you communicate as a defense. And then the coach's staff is going, hey, man, we got to watch this. And he's slowing those things down. For instance, watch him hit a, you know, watch him hit a jet sweep early to JPP's side with Tyreek Hill. And all of a sudden, you know what the coaching staff says? Hey, man, you got to watch that jet sweep, right? So all of a sudden, you got contain on that. So make sure you widen a little bit. Make sure you 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 jump up field and you take that away, right? And then all of a sudden, you run the fake jet sweep and you run, you know, fake 18 handoff with jet sweep going the backside, and it's a seven-step drop. And now Patrick Mahomes uh, is setting up behind the right tackle, and JPP has to jump out, try to take mm-hmm. away the jet sweep, and then all of a sudden, oh, shoot, you know, five tenths of a second later you go oh shit it's a pass now i gotta start my pass rush over again right and all of a sudden you've rendered him ineffective on that particular play so it really becomes about about the formations and the motions and then hey how many three-step drops do we have how many five-step drops can we create with zero hitches so as soon as you hit five patrick man that ball's got to be gone right now how many times can we do that how many times can we have a swing pass or a smoke screen to slow everybody down right so in those 35 dropbacks you're really only protecting 12 times and if my guys can't protect 12 times then we suck and we shouldn't win this game. that's interesting so we spent a lot of time talking about kansas city's offense tampa's defense the other way around tom brady's gone up against kansas city Many times over mm-hmm. the last few years, mm-hmm. I, I'd I'd say with a lot of confidence, he's got a really good feel about what Kansas City wants to do. But yet on the other side, yeah, Kansas City's gone up against Brady, but we all agree that a lot of what he's doing in Tampa looks different than what he's been doing in New England. Certainly, the ball going down the field a mm-hmm. lot more. Yeah. Has there been a lot of changes? Is there an advantage there for what Brady knows? And the the, the Chiefs' view of it is that well, th- th- this isn't the same old Brady, or is it? Right? No, it it, it isn't. There are you know, they are pushing the ball down the field more, and you know this is not this is not drop back. And how many you know how many option routes can we run to Edelman? I mean everything everything they did was. Hey, set Edelman outside the outside the, the numbers, right? Motion him in into the formation, and then have him run an option route, and then we got a swing pass on the other side, like you know that they were completing it. You know, eight balls completed yeah. to running backs, and then you know, eleven balls per, death can, by a million paper cuts. Right, exactly. Right? Yeah. And that's what they were. They're pushing the ball down the field so much more, and they've got the weapons to push the ball down the field. Spags, Steve Spagnola is their defense coordinator, at Kansas City, like. It's interesting because you will look at like numbers. I don't even know what their numbers are. I don't know what Kansas City's numbers are. I would imagine they're. Yeah, you know, I would imagine they've given up a lot of yards. I don't know where they rank, um, but I don't look at the yards given up, Mike. I don't look at. I don't look at any of that stuff, and I don't even look at the points when it comes to Spagnola's defense. And I'm sure they're. You know, middle of the pack or below middle of the pack, and all those things, points given up and yards and all that stuff. What I think that he has been able to do 
is in critical moments create critical defensive plays. Whether it's creating a turnover by Tyran Matthew, whether it's a sack by Jones or Frank Clark, um, you know, a great pass breakup by Breland. Um, they have got guys in critical moments that have made critical plays. And I think one of the things, you know, that Spags will do against Brady, and, and he's played him enough to know that we're going to have to have a fairly in-depth package. So one minute we're dropping eight and we're rushing three. Next minute we're rushing five, you know, playing zone behind it. The next minute we're bringing six and we're playing straight man. There's going to be changes in the way they line up. There's going to be defensive philosophical changes from quarter to quarter, um, from drive to drive. And I think you have to do that to make sure that Brady doesn't get a bead on exactly what you're doing. They've changed offensively, man. This is an offense under Bruce Arians historically that wanted to be very static and wanted the quarterback to read coverage, you know, after the snap. Brady for 20 years has been very motion, movement, let me see what they're in. And and they have amalgamated those two things together and they found a really nice balance between what Arians has always done versus what Brady has always done. And um and and that's why they they played so well on the offensive side of the ball. Oh uh, yeah, real quick. Chiefs were middle of the pack for yards, so total mm-hmm. defense, but uh points allowed, they were basically a top ten. Okay, they were, defense. they were a top 10 scoring yep. defense, which yep. which which actually surprises me as much as they're on the field. So the, right. and the reason it surprises me is, you know, you, you put together a great defense, you put together a, a three and out, whatever it is, you know, and you go to the sideline and you're, you know, high-fiving each other and go, great, great series, and you take one sip of water and all of a sudden Kansas City's offense scores and you're like, shit, we got to go back out, right. you know? So the yards doesn't – the yards – you know, being a middle of pack yardage doesn't surprise me. The scoring surprises me. That that actually surprises me. So good on them. But again, a lot of that comes down to in critical moments, they make critical plays to get off the field. All right. Well, uh, we've arrived at that uh, moment of truth. It's uh, our last chance to sprinkle a little, uh, a little bit of sprinkles on our turd. Yes. Because <laughs> overall, our seasons. Worth of picking was one giant turd, but this is a chance for us to sprinkle some uh, sugar on top of it. Yes, so redemption time right now here on the podcast. All right, as promised, joining us right now from um, Superbook, America's Best Bet, it's Jay Cornegay to, uh, you know, to look forward to this big game. And, and Mike, you and I, um, we suck, so we're just not even going to talk about it. You won the playoffs. I won the regular season. This is for all the marbles. So, What do you mean, all the marbles? Uh, this is part of the playoffs. I've won the playoffs. I won you, what matters most. No, you won the play. I won the – you wouldn't have gotten to the playoffs – if we were going head-to-head regular season, you wouldn't even gotten to the playoffs. Uh, listen, you, you weren't know, a playoff hey, team. Hey, you know me. All I want to do is get in. Once this I is, get in, I rise. But you wouldn't have but got, The cream rises to the top. You wouldn't have gotten in. <laughs> we were just, you, you didn't get in. So uh, this is all the marbles. This is for the world championship right Jay, here. Jay's, Jay's dealing with, like, I, I have to work with these children yeah. every single week. Jay, I'm kind of curious. How much fun, I assume it's fun. Well, maybe it isn't. How much, how much fun is sitting around and coming up with all these prop bets for Sunday? <laughs> well, sometimes it is fun. I mean, we we have, you know, uh, it's a whole process. We do it a, over a couple of weeks. And then once 
the two teams are determined, you know, we all huddle in this room for a couple of days, and I'm going to call them discussion, okay? Uh, but uh, they sometimes turn into um, arguments. They turn into some side bets. <laughs> and uh, it, 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 that discussion that you guys just had right there uh, sounded like us in the back room over a period of two days. Yes. Well, take, take me through one of the, like, how a prop bet gets uh... – how it gets discussed and how it finally kind of makes it on the board. Like, take, give us a story. Well, we, you know, first we have over 400 of these things, and it's they're so popular they actually outhandle the game itself. So we'll handle about 65 to 70 percent of all the bets that we take in for Super Bowl are actually on the props, and they become so popular that you know we keep coming up with new ones. Um, it, it, it's a little process. Sometimes we'll just, you know, get around in that huddle, and sometimes we could do it over the course of the season and say, hey, this would be a great Super Bowl prop. And, you know, sometimes that's on a cocktail napkin or whatever. It's, it's those type of discussions that how we come up with these certain props. And what we try to do is come up with ones that will make it very interesting for people to not only laugh at or, or you know, uh, discuss, but we actually want them to wager on it as well. And uh, so we do have a lot of fun with it, but it's, uh, it's a little challenging each and every year to get you know, more creative, especially here in Nevada and in Colorado and in certain other jurisdictions where you're limited to the field of play. We cannot post things like color of the Gatorade or the length of the national anthem or how many times they're going to show Giselle or whatever. Ours have to stick to the field of play. What happens on the field of play, or, or in other words, it has to be in the box score. So we do a lot of crossover sports. We have, you know, we got, um, you know, hockey in there. We got soccer. We got golf. We got other events that are taking place during the course of the Super Bowl weekend. We mix it in with the Super Bowl, uh, you know, props, and that's where you get really creative. But it's a process. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's just a lot of legwork. But we're all set and ready to go. Um, any any really cool props going on right now that uh, that you're that you're proud about that you, that really kind of tickle your fancy, so to speak? <laughs> yeah, there's always a couple out there that you know we we kind of laugh at, and uh, you know it starts off you know some in some jurisdictions you know the coin toss is allowed, and then in some it's not. Uh, but I'm going to tell you, that is one of the more popular props on the board, the coin toss. So, you know, either heads or tails, and actually I think it's been tails the last couple of years, but it's a very popular wager. We actually had one guy uh, a few years back, he didn't know what to bet on the game, so he just put his thirty grand on the coin toss, and he actually won, and then he enjoyed the rest of his day. But uh, it, it's one of those that uh, it, it seems kind of funky. It's a, literally a coin toss, but very popular. Um, you know, we have things that go like the, the, the player to score the very first touchdown, the, the number of his jersey, is it going to be over 17 and a half or under 17 and a half? Uh, you know, you, you have every statistical um, stat that you have on these individual skilled players. Every one of those stats is involved in a proposition. So when you're watching these, this game, every play probably affects three or four different propositions. And that's why they're so popular, because they're so entertaining. When people come in, and we're seeing this in Colorado as well, 
when people are playing the game, they're making five or six prop bets and then one bet on the game, and that's why the props are so much more popular than the game itself um, as, we, as we speak today. It wasn't like that years ago, but the, the general public has really warmed up to these propositions. All right, so let's uh, take it to the game now. What is the spread uh, of this game right now? I know it's kind of mo- – has it moved very much? Or is it? I know it kind of – I think it kicked off at around three and a half. Has it moved at all? You're exactly right. We opened three and a half, as uh, many others did. And then right out of the gate, we started seeing uh, Tampa Bay money, especially on the money line. Uh, the bigger plays, we had probably a good handful of five-figure wagers on Tampa Bay uh, money line, which was plus 55, plus 50. And it's really settled down. And this is very typical Super Bowl betting. As soon as you post the line, you kind of get a flurry of action for the first couple of days. And then everybody kind of settles in and waits. And then it really doesn't pick up until Super Bowl weekend. But during this lull, what we've seen is a lot of Kansas City money. But they're all smaller wagers, especially the, the, the parlay between the Chiefs and over. That's probably the most popular one. And I, we're seeing a lot of overs as, as, uh, as we speak now. And I think what when we get into the weekend, um, I think this is going to continue. I think people – are favoring the Chiefs. I, I think they're more comfortable with the Chiefs. They, it's, Chiefs are obviously very fun to watch and, and, and fun to root for, but I think that betting patterns that we have seen over the last few days is going to continue in the weekend, but I, I think it's going to be very, very balanced because I, there's a lot of sharp guys that love Tampa Bay, and I think when it kicks off, the books are going to be fairly balanced in this game. You know, Jay, throughout the year, I, I was paying attention to what you said, and I think I learned a little bit this year. And and here's the thing I learned about the Sharps. You kept talking about the Sharps every week. And there were games this year that I looked at a line and I'm like, my goodness, that just seems too obvious. It's like they're begging you to take this team. And it would invariably go the other way. Kansas City only minus three seems like an obvious play. And that's why I'm going to go with Tampa. I'm going to go with Tampa because I think I've learned from the Sharps this year. And I'm going to go with Tampa. I'm going to take Tampa plus the points. I don't blame you. I mean, I like to Mark's view on the, you know, the offensive lineman that Kansas City is missing. Okay. I, I'd like to hear Mark's take on that because I know there's been a lot of talk in those sharp circles about the offensive line for Kansas City, you know, and um, that's why a, a lot of the Sharps are kind of leaning towards the Buccaneers in this game. But for the books, you know, before we get Mark's opinion real quick, for the books, I think the props are going to carry the day, you know, how they do on the props. You know, if it's an uneventful game, like, you know, you know, every time a different player scores a touchdown, you know, it costs the books money. Every time there's a crazy play, an interception or a pick six or anything like that, a two-point conversion, all those types of things, you know, usually go against the books. But if it's a if it's a you know seventeen thirteen game or twenty four twenty type of game, you know the books will probably be okay. But if it's a fifty five fifty one game or something like that, the books are going to take it into the shorts. But I'm curious to see what Mark says about the offensive linemen for Kansas City that are going to miss the game. Well, you know I've talked a lot about this, and they've missed uh, they've missed um, Mitchell Schwartz. 
the, pretty much the whole season uh, assembly, pretty much the whole season. Uh, the Fisher one is is interesting because he's a really good player out there. But here's the thing about Andy Reid that, that he does such a great job coaching. Um, they use so much motion, so much formation, so many personnel groupings that oftentimes they make the defense play on their heels to some degree. And then when they do break down, Patrick Mahomes can make people miss in the pocket and create big plays down the down the football field. So, like, I think it's I, – I always am concerned about your offensive line, but I, I think that Andy Reid does such a good job of mitigating those issues through play calling and through, like I said, formation and motion and all the trick plays and all the – you know, uh, not even trick plays, but the um, – um, just just all the the unique plays that they run that it makes you play on your heels to some degree. So I don't think it's going to be as big as it would for a team that says, "Hey, let's line up and just play Smash Mouth with you." Do you know what I mean? So I, I don't think it's going to be as big a deal or as big a glaring weakness um, as it would be for some other teams that don't play that style of football. I don't know how all of a sudden Mike just got to pick first, by the way. Did you notice how he just jumped on that? Because I like... lead I lead in the playoffs. That's why. So my 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 point was I was gonna take I was gonna take I think Kansas City wins this game, but I was gonna take Tampa Bay uh and, and take the points. But now that Mike just all of a sudden just thinks he he he's in charge, I mean like I get a pick first all the time. Um I'll let him pick first. I'm gonna go the opposite way. And then if I win, if Kansas City wins by four, then uh, I am the world champion again. How many? How many world champ? That'll be like four. my. Well, I mean, I I won the bocce world championship of uh, the Fox Crew. <laughs> I won a couple bocce championships with my Vandal Crew. Uh, darts. I'm the three time chart dart champion of the Denver. You Broncos. are the Alaskan State champion in, uh, in heavyweight wrestling. wrestling. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it'd be like my twelfth championship, more than Brady. So uh, <laughs> I'm incredible. Um, anyhow, hey Jay, man, we appreciate you hanging with us all season long and uh, and giving us some. Uh, just giving us some uh, understanding and, and knowledge on the uh, gambling, the sports gambling, the sports book, uh, the super book. So we thank you so much for doing that for us. It's been a pleasure, guys, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And uh, I, I always uh, love speaking with you. And, and uh, the insight, the humor is, uh, is fantastic. And, and for the record, I'm actually going to go on the Chiefs side myself. I, I, I totally agree with uh, what you said, Mark. Uh, I think Reed will make those adjustments, keep the, the Bucks. Uh, off, uh, you know, back on their heels, and I don't think they're going to have breakdowns like Camp or Green Bay did uh, in the NFC Championship game. I, I think it's going to be a close game, an exciting game, um, but uh, I'll, I'll lean towards the Chiefs side myself. But thank you guys. Enjoy the whole season. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. We appreciate it. For everybody, uh, that is Jay Cornegay from uh, Superbook, America's Best Bet. All right, that does it for the Stinkin' Truth podcast for our uh, presenting sponsors, Superbook America's Best Bet. Thanks, Jay Cornegay, for being with us all year long. And also the great folks over at Sweet Sweat. They do such a great job for all your supplement needs, for all your exercise needs at home. Check it out, sweetsweat.com. For Mike, myself, for Scott the Huff. Uh, hey, we'll be back with you to wrap it all up uh, after the game next week.